Now Francis Chan, in one of his books, tells a story of a former member of a criminal gang. This former member of a criminal gang visited their church one day, uh, and he was heavily tattooed, and he was rough around the edges. He had been in the gang, and the Lord had saved him. And now he was keen to come to church. He wanted to check out church. He wanted to see what church is like. So he started attending one of the church. And he quickly got involved. He wasn't just like sort of coming in. He actually got involved in the last of the church. And <coughs> while he was involved, this lasted for several months. But after a couple of months, he disappeared. And no one knew where he was. He had just completely disappeared. Now, what a man like that disappears, everybody knows this, right? It's not open to see a woman, gang member coming to the church. So when he disappears, everybody knows, why is this guy gone? So, Pastor Francis tracked him down. He started looking for him and he wanted to ask him, why did he stop coming to church? So he asked him, why are you not here? Why are you not part of the church anymore? And this is what the man said to Pastor Francis. He said this. I had the wrong idea of what church was going to be like. When I joined the church, I thought it was going to be like joining a gang. You see, in the gang, we were not just nice to each other once a week. We were family. We were family. I wonder how you feel when you hear those words from this man and the reason he left that local church. Uh, when Francis Chan heard the reason why he left, he says, hearing this killed me, he said. And as I thought about Francis Chan's reaction, I thought, that is how all followers of Jesus should feel hearing that man speak. We feel sad, isn't it? Because we know that what this man expected from the church is what the Lord Jesus taught us, teaches us in his word the church is. It is the family. It is the family of God. It is amazing that a gang would paint a better picture of the family than the local church. That should fill us with sadness. I feel sad when I read it because I have to admit that this man, what he's talking about, if he attended Great Baptist Church 50 years, I am not sure, in fact, I am confident he would reach the same conclusion. He said, I came to the church and I thought, I'll find family. And I went away because it didn't hit that. Not that I'm a part of some of you here because you ran and where we found you. But having been a pastor here now for two years and two months, in the last year I would have spoken to about five to seven people that have said exactly those words that this man has said about us here. They have felt lonely. They have felt isolated. They have felt uninvited into our home. They have felt church is only a Sunday event. So, I feel sad for that reason, but I'm hopeful as well as I come to this passage. I'm hopeful because in the Bible we see that we are not without help. God has given us His Word to the instructions in how we are to grow. Remember, we are already a family in Jesus, but he instructs us how to grow outside what we already are inside. 
and this meeting we are resuming this journey with Jesus through Mark. We are in Mark chapter 3. Now you remember last time when we left Jesus, the family had left Nazareth. They are coming to take Jesus back. In verse 20, just get your eyes on verse 20 there, which is just read. Then he went on that his Peter's house, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family back in Nazareth had it, they went out to see him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. And so they've left Nazareth now, they're on their way to Capernaum. And after some days of travel, we see in verse 31, the family has arrived. They have come to see Jesus. And this encounter is so pivotal in the gospel. It is so pivotal because in this encounter we learn how Jesus himself sees the church. How Jesus himself sees you and I were fully surrendered to him. And he teaches us a crucial lesson that we don't often hear in churches. And as I thought about it, I, and I took it to the truth, I so, I don't think I've heard this before, the way the Lord Jesus puts it here. Because it teaches us, which lesson teaches us this. It teaches us this. God's true family prioritizes God's true family. I have to say that again. God's true family prioritizes in their life God's true family. And this truth is so ground shaking that I just want to. Focus to the point this evening. I want us to learn what Jesus is saying here. So turn with me to verse 31. Oh man. So Mary and her boys, they have arrived, they are outside Peter's house in Capernaum, they are ready to take Jesus back, and their family house is jumper. Okay? They probably are struggling to get inside the house. So instead of pushing in and risking embarrassing Jesus, in front of everyone and say, Jesus, you out of your mind, so come home, right? Instead of risking doing that publicly, they just say, look, just don't send him a message. Um, let's get a messenger. Can someone please tell Jesus that your family is here from Nazareth? Your dear man who bore you, who took you into Egypt for a selfie, she has come, she has missed you, she wants you to come out and meet her. Let's read verse 31 to verse 8. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And the workers took to Jesus, and the crowd knew about it, and then the two tell them. And the crowd was sitting around him, and he said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside, seeking you. Many of us have been interrupted at work, right? I'm sure you've experienced this, perhaps you have. Um, we come to our desk and we find a message in our desk. Your wife phones and says it is urgent. Please go about Your brother has come to see you. He's in the foyer downstairs. It is urgent. Go and see him. Or your brother has arrived. He's at the train station. He says, Meet me there at 12 p.m. What is the natural thing to do? What do you normally do when you get out there? If you are experienced. The natural thing to do is to drop everything, right? You drop everything. It is urgent. Especially if you haven't seen them. Especially if you're followed from another part of the country. You've got to drop everything. But to our shock here, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't answer the call of his man. 
He gave the right to become children of God. 
our wives. It trumps our relationship with our kids. It trumps our relationship with our world. Look at this thing. Just read it again. And the crowd was sitting around you, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside speaking. And he answered them, Who has my mother and my brother? And looking about at those who sat around the disciples and others were approaching, he said, Here are my mother and my brother. Now, this is radical. What Jesus is doing here is radical. And us sitting here in Bethlehem cannot understand this without traveling back to first century Israel. Because the way we think about family and the way we think about family then is just different. You see, in Jesus' society, the family you belong to comes first. Okay? You get that? In Jesus' society, it's a collectivist society, not the individualist society we have in the world. In Jesus' society, it's collectivist. That means the family, the group you belong to, the family, comes first. And we have this in society in the world today. But I where I come from to a degree, but not quite the way it is here. The family comes first. That means your, you come second. <laughs> your wishes and your desires come second. Okay? And you are expected to live for the honor of the family. The reputation of your family is more important than your feelings. Okay? So if your family says you must have an arranged marriage, you do it. It isn't even an arranged marriage, you do it. Because the family is more important than you. And we see it in some cultures today. And most importantly, and this is important, your true family is always, in this culture, your blood relation. You've got to get it. You've got to buy it. But that means that your blood relations take priority over all your human relationships. Let me explain this. If you're a married woman, what that means is that your ultimate loyalty it's not to your husband in Jesus' culture. Your ultimate loyalty is to your mother and your blood brother. That's how this culture works for your siblings. So when you marry into a family, they always consider you an outsider. And you know that. Because your true loyalty lies to your blood siblings, to your mother. It is a collectivist. It's different from how we live here in the West because you feel more close to your wife, yeah, you're more, you're more loyal to your wife than you are to your dad. Right? And that's how it is in our society because we are in an individualist society. They live in a collectivist society. Okay? We need to understand this difference because we don't understand what this means by brother, we don't understand what this means, what this is doing here until we get that. Two things you need to get. In Jesus' society, the individual is less important than the group he belongs to. Family first, you said. The second thing you need to know is that the family that matters most is the blood relation, not us. So the wife, the husband, they are more loyal to where they come from than to the people they are married to. That's just how the culture is. We're not making a commentary. Well, 
when we live or not, we're just describing the society Jesus is living in. Because we need to understand that because you need to understand that this means for Jesus, the worst thing that Jesus can do okay. is to refuse to side with his mother who gave him back. It is the most disloyal thing he could do is to refuse to stand with his blood relatives, his brothers who have come from Nazareth. And so when Jesus refuses to go out in manner and treatment, he is saying to them, and says to them, look, just turn to his followers and says, you are my mother, you are my brother, you are my sister. It is shocking in this culture. Now, in our culture, it's not shocking. Because many of us are brothers want to be on their own. So to turn around and say, I was following you for yes, this is actually my brother. It makes no difference. But for Jesus, it's different. Because those blood ties. Jesus is saying here, even he's saying, I have more undivided loyalty to Peter and the other disciples than my own blood, than my own mother who fled to Egypt to keep me there, than my brother James, the Jew who had fled in Nazareth. He's saying, friend, get this right. I have swapped sides now. I'm no longer in this family. I am in the family of God. My ties and knowledge are deeper here than I have to my own. This is not just painful for Mary and her son to hear Jesus say this. It is deeply heartbreaking to Jesus himself. It is heartbreaking to Jesus because remember, Jesus is carrying the right of the firstborn. He is married, held in sand. If Joseph has died already as we think at this stage, Jesus is the head of the family. So by Jesus refusing to go out with his family, he is dishonoring himself. Jesus might say, as we talk like a father who is failing to pay child support. He is not standing with them when they demand that. Jesus is taking on the shame. And he's not just suffering shame here. Jesus, as 100% man and 100% God, is feeling the full human pain of being torn away from his family. You have to remember Jesus probably hasn't seen his mom for a while. He's been on the road. He has also seen his brother James and Jude and others. He misses them. He longs as his sister. Look, friends, don't think of Jesus as a robot here sitting inside Peter's house without feeling. As he refuses to go out to them, he left them deeply. We know he has been different because no one has more love for his man than Jesus does. He's the only perfect man who has ever lived. No one loves his brothers more than Jesus does. No one feels the pain they must be feeling at this moment. And yet Jesus refuses to go out with them. He takes on this emotional cost to himself. He takes on this shame. Why is he doing it? He's doing it because Jesus knows. He knows God's true family takes priority over our family. God's 
take priority over others. Why have I delivered this point? Taking me back to first century Israel. Emphasize the point as I've tried to do to you this evening. I've done this for one simple reason only. Because for many people in our fellowship study, we live like this. This is how we live. We live like this. God first. In fact, I've heard this. God first. Family second, church third, and other relationships fourth. Let me just repeat, that's the model. In the West in general, God first, okay, uh, my personal relationship with God. Family second, okay, so God expects me to look after family first. God and church are separate, okay? So God first, family second, and church now third. And no other relationship at work, friends, they come forth. The key point there is that the way we live, we divorce God from the church. God appears, number one, church appears first. That's the key thing you need to remember there. You are divorced for God and food together if you need that. And it is tragic. Because God does everything for his church. But you see, if we are living like that, God first. Family second. Church third. It shows, doesn't it, in our lives. Because what we are saying is that what matters is our personal relationship with Jesus. That, that is all in the Bible, friends. That phrase, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, search the scriptures. It's not there. Do you know why it's not there? It's not there because there's no such thing as having a personal relationship with Jesus. You are saved into his body. You don't exist alone, friend. Yes, you're justified and right, but you are out of a body now. It's like a, it's like a hand laying out of a personal relationship. With the brain. Doesn't work, doesn't make sense. And because many of us think like that, what happens is this if we think God first, family second, church third, what it means is that I'm only gonna do things for the church if it fits in with my family. So 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 when I come to church, actually it's determined by my family schedule. And that makes sense because for you Family is a higher priority to the church, even though God is first, right? So, there's no way a church can trump your family, because that's how you think. You're, so, you're constantly trying to fit in God, the church, sorry, into your family's schedule. And this also explains how we live, isn't it? If we need the family first, if we need the family set a priority, it doesn't make sense to put to, to, to invite someone in the church in our home. Why? Because it's going to make chaos our family. And why should it should you bring chaos in our family when family comes second? Doesn't make sense. So do you understand why we struggle to invite other people in our home? Do you understand why we struggle to visit others? Because we don't want the peace of our homes to be disturbed. And we have justified it. As biblical. I don't know what we're going for. 
or is justified as biblical that family comes second. And the other way it manifests itself is this. People who live like this do not involve the church in the most important issues of their life. So if you are well, you think this is a family man. So you want to tell the church if you need prayer. But you want to do why you are well or how we as a church can actually help you. Because the church comes first. And if you think about your family, so when it comes to decisions being seen by your family, you don't even want to change to be seen by the family. Why? Because for you, family comes second. They come third. Well, why do you involve the church? We have the same about marriage, isn't it? If we're trying to get married, the church won't get involved in it from your dynamic because the church, God knows best. You are the person who believes in God, and the church comes third. So, as long as God is happy, it's time comes. <laughs> It doesn't matter what the church thinks. You divorce the church from, the, from God. Career is the same decision. You are not asking other believers what they think about your career, how you should progress, because you don't think there is factor in that. Aging. How do you provide aging to, 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 our, to our brethren that are aging in the family? I see this as it breaks my heart in our fellowship because it's like this. Look. I have my family, right? We think if an elderly person, okay, in the church, he's struggling with their family, that's their family business. We don't realize, well, I'm going to do that in a moment. You know why we think like that? Because if, I, if an elderly person is struggling, that's their family to take care of. Because God says, family says, church says, you follow me? A dear sister was unwell at the hospital and Judge Valley and she eventually passed away. So all of us have to make a decision. Do we visit at the hospital? Or do we let the family visit us? And, and I'm not judging anyone, but I think that if we need to do what to do or not, the way many of us think is this. God said, family second, so if the family can take care of that sense who's as well in the hospital, the church comes third, so it doesn't matter. It's not the church responsibility to visit. Because my priority is to look at my own family, not to look after someone else's family, even if it might be my The reason we think like this is that we've been influenced not by the scriptures, but by Western individuals. We think our issues are personal issues, there are issues that you deal with. And if you want to involve the church, we just ask for their prayer. And of course, some people that means there's no real membership there. Because if God first, family second, church third, uh, why do I have to be a church member of any church? I have my personal relationship with Jesus. Take note. Jesus is different. Let's look at his model. His model is God's family first. It doesn't even make this distinction. He doesn't even mention God here. He mentions him in verse 35. Because he marries God and family. You know this? Like the will of God is actually being with God's people. And look at that. He says, Jesus' model is simple. God's family first, the human family second, and other relationships. And this resolves all the problems you have when you read Jesus. 
You understand why Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You also understand why Jesus said, we must not divorce our wives. You understand why Jesus loves children? Because this model of Jesus brings everything together. There's no tension. Because to Jesus, the prime family is God's true family. Everything he does is about God's family. And second, the human family. And then third, Adam's question. And we see this that we meet Mark 10, verse 28 to verse 30. And we need a chapter 10. We look at this. So you might hear this sermon twice. We're going to look at Mark 10, verse 28, verse 30. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed him. Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left us, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or land, for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecution in the age to come in the The prosperity gospel has gone in overdrive over this verse. They miss the point Jesus is making. <laughs> the point Jesus is making is that because you have swapped, when you come to me, you have a certain relationship, you, you, you surrender your life to me, I bring you, you leave everything, you're turning, you're changing priorities, he said. You are now in God's family. And that's why the family you get is so large. A hundredfold. Because the church is big. He's saying salvation is a community creating event. It is leaving the domain of darkness, entering the family of God. And in the family of God, what happens is you have brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a new true family now. Now, Jesus is not saying that these true followers must not care for their family. As I've said, listen, you can never love your man more than Jesus does. Understand that? You can never love your wife more than Jesus loves his mother or his brother. Jesus loves his human family and he loves you too. But as I said, he's a fan of the family. And we'll see his teaching on divorce, the strong teaching. Remember, God created your family. He gave it to you as a gift. And God wants you to love your family. So what is Jesus saying here? What is he saying here is this? That our care for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ takes priority than our own family. There's no doubt about that. But, we must not treat our families less than God commands. You get that? Our care for believers take priority than our family. And we must not treat our family less than God commands. If you are a husband, you must love your wife as Christ loved his church. How did he love the church? He gave himself up for us. No if, no but. But listen to me, in your love for your wife, okay, your, the priority remains God's people. You are not loving yourself as part of the church if the church is the second priority to your wife. That means you fitting in your marriage relationship into 
you have your need in the community of God's people and drawing on God's people for help. God has not designed the Christian family to simply be the business of Adam and wife. It is meant to be nature by the redemptive community. And I was having a conversation this morning about the same thing. God's model is not Chola parenting Abigail only. God's model is that you true believers help me to parent my child. Because it's broken in your family with uncles and with you like that. That's God's model. Friends, let us speak to husband for a moment here. You can love your wife from here to kingdom come, but there will always be things that you cannot fulfill for your wife. That only another lady in the fellowship for you You are a man. Your ability to listen is limited in certain areas, even God creating you. And so, what God has done is something amazing. He has brought your wife into this community to be nurtured by other ladies as you perform the role of a husband. That's God's gift to you. And if we believe this truth, Christian marriage. Will be amazing. It will be sure that there won't have so many broken marriages. But I was really expecting me to do everything I can to on my own. You will not be chipping into a wheel after I do. And we'll be doing the same for you. And that's what makes marriage, Christian marriage, so wonderful. Now I know this is difficult. But we must prioritize God's true family. And I know that as you hear this, you will think it's difficult, yes. But you must do it. You must, go, you must put God's true family first. To do the opposite of what Jesus is modeling here is a sin. But it's not just anything, it's such a sin. It is a sin that raises serious questions about whether you are a true follower of Jesus. Because you see what Peter says to Jesus. Now, now you know this is difficult. And I imagine you may not have heard it put this way the sermon before. Maybe you are afraid for And so to hear it now gives you perhaps a natural inclination to ignore God's word. What is the church? Some of you are moving just by the mass. Look at the sword. Don't do it. Don't ignore the plain teaching of God's word. It will be a serious mistake to ignore God's word that is warning you not to divorce God from his bride and church. Hebrews 10, the 26, 31 says this, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge, the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. But a fear of expectation, of judgment, and the fury of fire that will consume the others. We'll be rejecting the plain teaching of the Bible only proves that you are not a true follower of Jesus. And you remain under the severe judgment of God. And I just want to encourage you this evening, if you find it difficult to accept, what you need to do is to remember that Mark is writing his words to follow us of Jesus in Rome. Many of them have already 
been shunned by their families. And they are being hunted by the sun. They are being put in cages to wild dogs by the evil emperor there. How do you think they feel when they read this pamphlet? How do you feel they feel when they read these words of Jesus? How do you think Asia Abyss in Pakistan feels when she reads these words? How do you think many people suffering in Iran are feeling as they read these words? Do you think they are resisting these words? I think they are dancing the joy. They are encouraged, you see, because in these words they think that Jesus is not asking them to do something that he is not willing to do himself. And as we read through Mark, we're going to see constantly Jesus himself doing things before he asks other people to do. They are encouraged. Any of these must be encouraged to read this And they are also encouraged because they know. They know that even though they have lost their families, for some of them, they are the true family in Jesus. They know, yes, turning to Jesus has cost me my family, but I really do have a family in And I think if you are a true follower of Jesus, this is how you should be. Jesus' words can only be known by those who value this world more than Jesus. The true follower of Jesus cannot but see that what Jesus is doing is amazing. The true follower of Jesus cannot see Jesus putting his family second ahead of God's people and him goes on to do the opposite. Well, you're not a true follower then. A true follower of Jesus sees what Jesus is doing and immediately remembers that Jesus has actually done something greater than this. Three years after this event, Mark will tell us that our Lord Jesus walked up to Golgotha. He is torn, beaten, and then nailed to that cross of wood. And as he died there at 12 p.m., darkness descends on the land, and at 3 p.m. we hear these words from Jesus. My God, my God, why are you forsaken me? Why is Jesus crying? Because God the Father has turned his face away. God's wrath is being poured on our Lord Jesus. For who, friend? For who? For you! For you, friend! It is being poured on Jesus for God's true family. You see, right there on the cross, Jesus in greatness, separated from his Father, took me to stand with you in your sins. I don't understand it. And we'll come to it in Mark. I don't understand it. It's a mystery what takes place on the cross. But one thing I know is that when Jesus cries those words, my God, my God, why are you protecting me? He tells me this. He's standing with me. He's choosing me as his true family. He's telling me that he prioritizes the church. He tells me Jesus loves his church. It is his priority. And he wants me to make his church my friend. Do you love Jesus? Are you his true follower? Can you truly say you are the same desire and priority of Jesus? If you do, then start Come before Jesus. I admit here that you don't always prioritize his family as he does. Tell Jesus that sometimes you put God's church second. Be honest that I was to direct his word. For too long, Lord, I said to him, Father, believe God's word. 
what's going to be spiritual. How you can do that while loving your wife, as God loves His church. How you can do that while loving your man, as Jesus perfectly loved His man. How you can love your kids, as Jesus loved His children. I want you to imagine with me as we come to an end of how this church will look like before its members obey this. I think we would become a community where all material and spiritual resources are shared. I think the church would have no one lacking anything. Because we would live for each other. I think it would be a church where when one person suffers, we literally all suffer for them. I think there would be a cure at Garrett's Valley if somebody is there and is unwell. I think when one rejoices, everyone will rejoice. I think this will become a place where people experience true love of Jesus. I think it will be a place where the Lord's Supper will be the well-attended meeting in the church. Because around the Lord's Supper we will see that we have been all come to the land broken, crushed, and have been made clean by Him, made whole as one well. I think we will pray more. Because we'll feel each other pay more. We'll say, you know what? I don't have a need this Saturday morning. But you know what? My brother Ross needs me down there to cry out to God together with. I think we'll attend the church prayer meeting more. I think we'll enjoy sharing God's word together. I think this will be a place where drug addicts, gang members, will feel well. And they'll find Jesus. I think it's a place in which you know you can bless her, but you know the blood of Jesus cleanses you from all sin. You know what? That sounds to me, I don't know about you, it sounds a lot like a church in us. That is what I want. That is what I'm praying for, for this church. That's what success for me looks like. To live out truly as God's true family. And most importantly, if I can be so bold to use the words of Paul to King Agrippa, I know you believe. I know you believe. Because if you're a true follower of Jesus, I know this is what you want as well. And if that's what you want, then let us pray to God for you. Let us come to God, pray for this to make it happen. Especially as we look towards 2019. Let us come together. Commit yourself, you know, of this church to the family to build such a church. Which God Himself already 